Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law Podcast Series. I'm Dylan Kennett, corporate lawyer at DLA Piper, and today we'll be discussing crowdfunding and why it's been such a huge growth market in the UK and worldwide. A special welcome to Jeff Lynn from Cedars, uh, who are the world's leading equity crowdfunding platform, and Sriram Prakash from Deloitte, uh, the multinational professional services firm. So, gents, thanks for joining us today. Um, it'd be great if uh, both of you could do a quick intro f on yourselves. Thank you, Dan. Uh, I'm Sriram Prakash. I'm the global lead for uh, innovation M&A and also the Insight program for Deloitte. And uh, I work uh, quite a lot with the startups helping make deals as well as investments. Jeff, of course, I know him for the last three years. And uh, Dan and we met after almost two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a good while now. We uh, got to catch up at the... Uh, at the Deloitte Fast 50, and uh, I'm sure we can get into that in a minute. And Jeff, uh, yeah, quick thanks, intro to thanks, yourself. Thanks very much for, for having me on, Dylan. Um, uh, my name's Jeff Lynn. I'm the executive chairman and co-founder of Cedars, uh, which, as you said, is, is a major equity crowdfunding platform. We very simply uh, provide an online platform for investment in early stage and growth businesses. So we allow investors of all shapes and sizes uh, to invest in businesses they believe in and share in their success. And we allow companies ranging from very early seed stage up to venture and pre-IPO uh, to raise capital uh, and build community uh, all through a simple process. Um, we were very honored uh, this year uh, to be named to the Deloitte Fast 50. Uh, I think this was, this was certainly our first year included. I think it was our first year of eligibility, technically. So very proud to be, a, be one for one on that. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's a, it's, it's a great pleasure to be with you guys. Shriram, I, I guess it makes most sense if you want to go into the Deloitte Fast 50 and, and what you guys have been doing now in your 20th year. Um, so congratulations on that. And uh, kind of the genesis of the program and, and why you think it's uh, very important to the UK tech scene. I think you hit it on the nail, Dan, and it's the 20th year. I mean, it, even for us at Deloitte, it sometimes catches us by shock that it's been going on for 20 years. One of the few... Uh, programs of any kind which has been consistently going on. But um, um, to encapsulate it, Fast 50 is uh, one of our flagship programs for the technology, media and telecom industry for Deloitte. It's not just in UK, across the world we have similar Fast 50 programs. And what it does is we independently verify the fastest growing 50 privately owned technology or technology enabled companies in a given country. It has very strict eligibility criteria. Uh, you need to have a certain threshold of revenue growth. Um, and it's very straightforward, you need to the fastest growing revenue companies, but also you have to be established over a certain period of time. So uh, welcome Cedars on board Thank and you. hopefully you'll graduate. We have had very famous alumni who have been uh, IPO'd, we have, who have been acquired for billions of dollars, so uh, you're in good company. We're working on it. Long may it continue. And, uh, yeah. and also welcome <coughs> to DLA Piper who have joined us this year as uh, a co-sponsor. We are particularly privileged to work with you. It has been a great start this year. No, we, we loved it. It was a fantastic event to be involved in, um, and hopefully we continue that relationship for many years to come. So thanks very much. And I think from our point of view, it was brilliant to see how much UK tech has grown uh, in, in such a short period of time. And I think the Deloitte uh, event helps a lot of things because a lot of award events, um, you, you get all these companies and it, it develops the PR hype, whereas Deloitte, you're going through the numbers. Uh, these people have to have four years of trading history minimum, and so it does separate a lot of wheat from the chaff, and these are genuine UK tech companies doing good things in the market. So uh, I, I thought it was a brilliant event, and uh, we're, we're glad to be involved. 
Um, so I guess we'll get into to crowdfunding because that's why why we're here. Um, Jeff, as we were saying, it's great to hear about your recognition from Deloitte. Uh, what what do you feel is driving that growth? Well, I think in many ways you know, we are part of. I suppose I suppose have helped form, but certainly are part of you know the broader move of various forms of finance. Um, online, you know, in the sort of first wave of the digital revolution, the 90s, the early 2000s, a lot of industries began to move from brick and mortar to to online. But um, and 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 some of the sort of most liquid, most transparent public markets did as well. But you know, alternative asset classes, including private equity in its broadest sense, um, did not. And you know, I think until you know, not too many years ago, it was still functioning in a way that had been largely unchanged for 30, 40, 50 years. And, you know, we stepped in, I think, along with a few others and certainly our peers in the debt sort of peer-to-peer lending space and, and others to say, you know, this is this is an asset class that is, is ripe for online intermediation. It's ripe for democratization, bringing mm-hmm. it beyond the sort of small clubby world that it once was and bringing it out to a much wider group of investors and much wider group of companies. Um, and, you know, all of the various things, reduction of transaction costs, increase in communication ability, so much else that sort of makes the internet a great thing, you know, it, 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 it you know, applies in our space just as much. So, so, so while, you know, obviously we have a fantastic team and I could go on and on and on about how wonderful we are, I mean, I think <laughs> fundamentally we are part of, you know, I mean, I think perhaps we identified and helped shape, but we are part of a broader trend of alternative investing moving into the digital domain. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head that democratization of investing was one of the key points um, and driving a lot of the UK's growth. I know I invest myself through crowdfunding platforms, whether it's a hundred pound punt here and there. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fantastic way to get involved with businesses that you're quite interested in and have some type of emotive response to those businesses. Um, so I, I think that's been brilliant, whether it's the high growth emerging tech companies that we all see and hear in the news, or whether it's your local coffee shop that's trying to expand a bit in their in their business. Well, and so. I, I think that's a very important point, Dylan, and, 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 and perhaps just worth quickly emphasizing to, to your listeners, which is that you know the, the very high growth tech businesses, the kinds of businesses that are included in the Deloitte Fast 50 are absolutely wonderful. And a platform like Cedars, we fund a whole number of them, and we're very proud to work with them. Um, but I think there was once a notion that you either had that sort of business or everything else was just a corner shop. And, one of the things we've tried to identify and tried to make available is a much wider range of growth businesses, consumer products, food and beverage, and a whole number of other sectors that haven't necessarily traditionally received significant levels of external capital and thus have been a bit stymied in terms of their growth, but can produce really exciting equity returns mm-hmm. and on a risk return basis can often be very, very compelling investments. Mm-hmm. And so we've done a lot of that as well, and I think we're very proud of being able to do both. Yeah, uh, no, fantastic. And uh, from the Deloitte point, point of view, what do you see as the market for crowdfunding or where where are the growth points or who's doing it right? <laughs> That's all. Maybe, maybe we won't get into that. Loaded question. Well, yeah. well, well, hopefully the, your inclusion in the Fast 50 yeah. should answer part of that question. But, you know, Dylan, I, I'm a dinosaur of the dot-com era. I, you know, you see so many cycles. And to me, there are two key considerations whenever I see any such uh, um, movement. And I think crowdfunding, and uh, as you rightly pointed out, Jeff, this is a genuine democratization, not just from uh, of, of, of the digital and making it accessible to investors, but also for these fantastic companies which are coming through. But I think there are two key points which, um, which almost encapsulate why now it's happening. 
I mean, since since the financial crisis era, we have, we have been in an environment of ultra-low interest rates. So there's been a genuine quest for yield, not just at the corporate sector, but also at the average punter, at the average equity investor, who previously used to invest in the equity markets, and to, you know, for, the, for a long time they didn't have any other alternate sources of investment. So the timing was just right. But I think the other really interesting thing, it was almost underlining current is the shifts in behavior where you know today people are more than happy to take advice uh, from their peers rather than corporates and that yeah. has totally tilted the balance of why so many people are attracted from an investor standpoint and of course as you were saying Jeff you know the, the sorts of companies which are coming through they are not just your tech you know these are companies which you can understand yeah. you know put your money where your mouth is that's why Brewdog you know? <laughs> yeah, they've done extremely well. Yeah, absolutely right. I'm sure we all put our mugs to a blue dog and, you know, money too. You've had a good few years now to evaluate some the, the track record. So, yeah, what's, what's going well, what isn't? What we did best was focus on getting our product right from day one. So one of the things, you know, for, for my sins, like you, I, I was a lawyer at one time, and, and I... Um, Sorry about that. Uh, well, you can't, and you can't co totally shake it. And, and, and you know, I, I was very focused, um, and I think rightly in early days, on making sure we built a product that, 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 that worked for everyone. And there are a number of different sort of manifestations of that. But the, the critical one being that you know, investing in private companies has its complexities. There are various forms of contracts and agreements involved. And when suddenly you add hundreds and hundreds of investors to the mix, it becomes significantly more complicated. Uh, and so we worked very hard to devise a set of processes, loosely what we call our nominee structure, but it, it, it goes a little bit broader than that to make sure that on one end investors who were investing could get the same types of protections and the same you know the same type of equity uh, that angels and VCs have always gotten while at the same time we weren't hamstringing the companies from growth and that was a very far from trivial problem uh, we focused on it from day one uh, and I'm thrilled that we did and I think that that and many of the trappings around that have added a huge amount of value in our a big part of our growth the flip side of that coin is that you know we did not focus as much on marketing and sales early on, and I think that you know I was a lawyer, my co-founder was a techie, and businesses take tend to take the form um, you know of their founders sometimes, and in our case, you know I think we were really good at the tech, I yeah. think we were really good at the transactional element, but we kind of thought that you know if you build it they will come, and yeah. it has been a really interesting lesson you know, through the years in terms of what is it, you know, you can have the greatest product in the world, but what does it mean to actually actively go out there and build a marketplace around it? Um, and we've done that now, and I think the last two, three years, you know, we've just done a great job. We, 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 we really have, have, have transformed how we interact with the market, but, you know, early days, if I had it to do over again, I would have focused on that much sooner. Fair enough, and, and I guess we're talking about protecting private investors. I know the FCA's been acutely aware of this over time, and you guys obviously have a lot of dialogue with them. Um, what's what's been your experience in terms of regula regulatory hurdles? Uh, where have you found difficulty? What would you maybe perhaps change? Uh, but bearing in mind that we do need to get the balance right of protecting the man on the street investing in a in a private company. The truth is that the regulators here, the, what's now the FCA, have really been you know, best in the world yeah. in terms of seeking to strike that balance. I think we worked very hard to have a very open and honest dialogue with them both through our application process and then post-authorization. Um, and ever since then, you know, I think they have come to really take seriously their mandate of promoting competition, trying to promote you know, well-functioning capital markets while at the same time 
protecting investors, and, and, and overall it has been great. And so we're now at a point, frankly, where the kinds of things we talk with them about and the kinds of things that we might see change are really at the margins. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really sort of tweaks that can make the system slightly better here, slightly better there. Um, but I think that we have a very good and effective system here in the UK. What's going to be more interesting is the cross-border element and how do we begin to export um, the great sort of services that we're able to offer here mm -hmm. effectively across Europe. Brexit, you know, notwithstanding, we still plan to trade with Europe and, and you know, there and, and, and elsewhere in the world where some of the regulatory systems haven't quite caught up. So a lot of our focus from a regulatory perspective is actually non-UK. And you can see the regulators are actually taking the lead from the FCA. You're starting to see regulatory sandboxes popping up mm -hmm. in other parts of the world. Um, it, so people are watching what the UK is doing and they're leading from the front and you're seeing it even with uh, initial coin offerings now that the FCA is going through the same kind of listening period rather than coming out um, and, and putting their foot down one way or the other. So I, I would say very interesting and from the regulator to actually go out to the market and discuss with the market before coming down on, on one side of the coin. From the Deloitte point of view, what do you see on regulation? Um, the regulatory landscape, any tweaks you would make to it, or are things going hunky-dory? <laughs> Never hunky-dory, of course. Uh, but I think the key element, as with any anything, because crowdfunding, as with many other such industries, is still very much in the early stages of development. So the, to me, this, the utmost key element is trust. The, the, it's not just the trust with your investors, but it's the trust with the regulators, trust with the marketplace, and inherently trust that this is something here for the long run. And to establish that there are plenty of ways, I think crowdfunding and the other similar platforms, peer-to-peer, -peer, et cetera, they initially proposed um, self-regulation, um, which is a good step forward because they, they were voluntarily reporting quite a lot of their numbers to the regulators, engaging the regulators yeah. very early on. I think these are all very positive steps. But to me, there are still, it's a long way off because today, if you look into crowdfunding, you know, as a, there is no global platform. You cannot have a global platform, mm -hmm. alone a pan, not even a pan-European platform. Yeah. So I think there's a huge role for professional services firms like Big Four, uh, Deloitte, of course, and of course the law firms, are, we have a huge role to play because we ourselves are trusted advisors in this space. We know what it takes. We've been around long enough. So working with the regulators, working with crowdfunding platforms to really bring a, a semblance of what it takes for, for these industries to grow up. And I think on the positive note, the, the good thing is that, um, as, you were, as you were mentioning, that you know, lots of other regulators are taking cue from FCA. And the reason being, because FCA was one of the first ones to actively pursue. They were engaging with the crowdfunding community. They were not waiting for the crowdfunding community to come to them. And I think um, I was recently representing Deloitte at the ECB consultation for uh, P2P and crowdfunding. Again, they were very open-minded, a very different uh, sort of uh, conversation what you would have, let's say, 10 years ago, for instance. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, and at least people are listening to us, so that's a, that's a good thing. And we're always happy to help. There's the plug for DLA and Deloitte uh, if anybody's looking to go into new markets. Um, I, I guess changing gears a little bit, um, Jeff, for, for Cedars, what is your sweet spot in terms of a, a company and helping them get to maybe an exit, uh, whether it's trade sale, IPO? What deal flow for you? Where do you source it? What are you excited about? I know that's a very broad question. <laughs> 
Well, we're excited about a lot of things. And I think one of the things that has frankly surprised me over the past couple of years has been the breadth of the market that we've been able to serve. I mean, when we first started out, we really did think of our sweet spot as seed. The, the name is sort of a yeah. giveaway, you know. And, 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 you know, it was partially because we thought that once you got up into venture territory, the market was already sufficiently well served and the real sort of dysfunction, you know, antiquation, so to speak, of, of, of the market that we were trying to come into, we thought was at the pre-venture level. Um, one of the really interesting things we have found is that that, that that hypothesis that venture works okay is actually not wrong. I mean, you know, there's some great and better and better, and better VCs in this country every year, um, but we're finding more and more businesses that are raising venture also want to raise through us because there's yeah. a tremendous customer engagement and marketing opportunity uh, that comes from businesses going out to their customers, giving them the opportunity to invest in them. So we will now do deals ranging from you know a 50 or 100,000 pound sort of pre-seed round up to you know a several million pound ticket of a multi-million pound uh, series B. We're seeing venture firms come in on the crowdfunding platform themselves. Yep. Yeah, so that's, yep. that's quite interesting. A, yeah. a, a, exactly. And, 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 you know, part of that is, you know, I've always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the word crowdfunding, because although it, it does, it is descriptive and people sort of know what you're talking about, you know, I, I do like to think of us more as a marketplace, because it's not just the crowd. It is all, you know, we want the 10-pound, 100-pound, 1,000-pound investors. That's amazing. But, you know, the tools we've built and the technology we've built should be equally applicable for yeah. an institutional investor who wants to invest millions. And we're trying to serve, you know, as many segments of that market as we can. And do you yourself punt into any of uh, your businesses that are coming on the platform? I, so I've made over 200 investments through Cedars, most of them relatively small, 100 pound, 200 pound type investments. You know, I've got, I'm, I've got a young family. I'm not the sort of person who's <laughs> in a position to make big ticket angel investments. So Cedars is almost in many ways built for somebody like me. And you know, I've done it over the past five years and I've achieved about an 11% um, after fee uh, IRR. And if you add the tax reliefs in, significantly more than that. That's a heck of a lot better than my public market investments have done. You know, I've got some great peer-to-peer -peer lending investments as well, which have done about 5%. That's lovely, they're safer, but you know, this has been a great growth asset class for me and for the hundreds of thousands of people who use us. Being somewhat of soothsayers, where do we see the market going from here? I know Cedars just uh, opened up its secondary trading platform, mm -hmm. so you can increase or decrease your stakes yep. in existing companies, I believe, if that that how it works. That, so that's one tweak to the market, I guess. Yeah, that, you know that, that that that's for anybody interested in sort of how consumer-facing tech products develop. Um, you know, the story there is slightly interesting in the sense that you know we 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 sort of led from the rear on that one. We were not really planning on doing that in the short term because we know there are a lot of limitations to kind of how much liquidity you can have there. But what we found was uh, our investors were using what were supposed to be discussion forums uh, to create their own markets. They were going out and saying, hey, I'd like to buy more of this. I'd like to sell some of this. And so we sort of said, my God, if they're going to do this anyway, why force them to use such a clunky process? Yes. Let's actually build a feature for them. Um, it's proved immensely popular. It has surprised us entirely. Had we known how successful it would be, we would have prioritized it a long time ago. But yeah. it wasn't one of the things that we, we, we were, you know, we had a huge amount of confidence in and we sort of built it to see what would happen. And it's been great. We're in beta phase now in the sense that it is very limited. You know, we're only doing small trades below the thousand pound stamp duty threshold and a few other restrictions. But the goal over the next six months, year is actually to expand it significantly and, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, be able to facilitate a meaningful amount of secondary activity.
Fair enough. And, and it makes perfect sense. So uh, I'll, I'll see if I can get on there too shortly. And, and where do you see the, the market going, Sriram? Uh, are there any uh, five years from now, 10 years from now, do you think this is uh, everybody's doing it or is it still to a, a sophisticated investor or... What do you think? Positive spin from Jeff. Let me take a <laughs> let me take a little measure approach. I, I I certainly agree with Jeff. I think particularly on the secondary market because this is a normal evolution of any such industry. You've got to have that. But I think there are a couple of other things which also uh, one needs to look into. So if you look into the the, the growth of this marketplace the last uh, let's let's say five six years, predominantly the way the the marketplace has been trying to differentiate itself has been saying, well, you know, I've got X amount of companies or X amount raised, but that's not truly building a brand. And there's a lots of me too's, et cetera. And I think the natural step in evolution is, um, you know, the question a lot of uh, crowdfunding platforms are going to be asking, what do you want to be famous for? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think you can be everything to everybody yet. So there might be interesting sub-brands, there might be interesting, you know, deals to be made, I don't know. So, but, but that's something, uh, is, is a natural step of evolution. I also think that, um, the other thing to watch out for is uh, the lessons learned from you know, the whole VC industry, et cetera. Because one of the great things about crowdfunding was it was true democratization of the sort of companies which came there to take money. You know, it wasn't your classic tech companies. You virtually had you know, people with all sorts of really interesting ideas come through. But the danger now we are facing, we are because we are at, a, at that particular cusp, is as investors get more sophisticated, they see which type of investment make more money. There's danger that you know, money will start following only those type of investments. Mm -hmm. So what happens to the long tail? Which you know, which was a very noble idea in the first place, because you used to have, you know, ideas which you never believed in suddenly, you know, come off. Yeah. Bre Brewdog, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a great one. So that's something you know, the uh, it's very much a, it's a, it's a burden for both the crowdfunding platforms as well as the investors, because this isn't just about an asset class. This is about a, a, a much bigger democratization of how capital moves moves through. So I think um, that said. It's here to stay. There's yeah. no doubt about it. So we are fairly positive about it. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, Jeff, I guess this one's more of a picking your favorite child. Um, huh. <laughs> which uh, have you had some star performers that really uh, tugged at your heartstrings, or uh, ones you were very excited about, still are excited about? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the, yes, it is sort of like picking your favorite child. We have so many fantastic companies, but I, I think that. You know, just to illustrate a few to give a sense of the kinds of businesses we see and the kinds of businesses we really, we really do get, get, get excited about. You know, we have everything from one of our very first businesses to raise through us is a company called Swogo. We got to know them. They were the, one of the first batch on the platform. We got to know them because their founder had been an intern for me when, when we were first going through the regulatory process. Raised something like 20,000 pounds for an e-commerce bundling play, a, a little, bit, little bit sort of intricate to describe. It has pivoted a couple of times. It is a very different business than it once looked like, but it's going gangbusters. Yeah. And the investors have seen a tremendous uptick you know, in terms of their returns on paper. I have a huge amount of confidence that this thing is going to go somewhere. And the reason that it is so exciting to me is that very much as Sriram says, this is the kind of business, the stage it was at, the founder was 22 or something. I mean, you would not have gotten backing from most traditional investors for mm -hmm. that, but they managed to use their community, they managed to use our community, invest in it, and it's doing brilliantly. Other end of the spectrum, you have a business like Oppo Ice Cream, which is a couple of guys, two brothers, um, who have developed uh, a healthy, um, tasty, 
a, a form of ice cream um, and made of stevia leaf and, and coconut milk. And it's absolutely delicious. The two brothers are just the most amazing sort of hustlers and marketers. Um, and they have managed, and often consumer products, that's what it takes. You make a good product and then you go sell it. And they came to us when they were just beginning to distribute. Um, we met them. We convinced them to come onto the platform. You know, they are now being distributed all over the country. And my favorite bit about them was that um, several years ago, the prime minister invited them to join him on a trade delegation uh, to show off uh, various British wares uh, in Milan. And you know, as as we said at the time, you know, if you can sell ice cream to the Italians, <laughs> yeah. that is a really Fair impressive Fair impressive Fair thing. So you know, we, we you know everything from the small little tech company to the consumer products business to now much bigger businesses like Revolut, which is yeah. you know the online bank going just amazingly. They did a fifty million dollar round or so from some of the biggest VCs in the world. Wanted to involve their customers and so did about four million pounds uh, through us. So it's it's it, it's one of those things where. What excites me so much is the difficulty in picking between yeah. them because it is such a such a wide range. And I, I guess we're a few years into the game now. So are, I know in the early stages people were saying, okay, well, where's the returns, blah, 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 blah. Are we starting to see exits, any type of trade sales? Are those starting to come down? The, and that's open to either of you. So. Well, I mean, I can tell you from our platform, yes, you know, exactly as predicted. When we first launched, we said, you know, don't expect to start seeing exits for about four or five years. And at that point, they'll be sort of on the smaller side, and exactly. then the bigger ones will come later. And sure enough, we launched late 2012. In the last year, uh, we've had an IPO on AIM, a great Scottish business called Free Agent, which does accounting software for uh, micro-businesses floated on AIM. Um, we've had a trade sale, a, a robo-advisor called Wealthify, yep. uh, just sold to Aviva. We've had a voluntary buy buyback blow limited which does which is beauty on demand sort of the uber for salon kind of thing um, uh, they have just taken a big investment from Debenhams Debenhams then offered to buy out any of our shareholders who wanted it some took it many stayed on and um, uh, uh, it's gone gone great that way and then obviously on our secondary market we've had over 500 individual exits coming from investors selling down their stakes so we are beginning to see strong exits um, and we're also beginning to see really significant returns on paper and you know it's always hard in this space you know to, to, to measure these things but we have a, a very robust valuation mechanism that we use to analyze how our companies are performing and you know as an asset class the overall IRRs are well in excess of almost any other asset class you could get access to. Fair enough. So all going well then. I, I totally agree. And I was particularly thrilled when Free Agent came mm -hmm. listed in IAM because that was the first one. I think that was pretty much the very first uh, uh, crowdfunded back uh, getting listed. Yep. And to me, what, what's interesting about this is that it's not just your, you know, when you, when you talk about VCs and so forth, there's a traditional form of exit. You either IPO or you get acquired. But what we're finding in crowdfunding is that, you know, the types of companies which are coming through, you open up so much more opportunities and options for them to continue growing. Look, I mean, look at, it looks like I'm pl plugging here for BrewDog, but <laughs> they're constantly coming back for more. Yeah. They're not worried about exit. They're just, you know, just, just increasing their business, just like a big corporate. Yeah. So I, one of the things which excites me about um, the, the future is that we are probably going to see lots and lots of new business models emerge mm -hmm. in terms of how companies are going to access this asset class, mm -hmm. including uh, there was actually a listed company from France, I think it used, uh, used one of your rivals, mm -hmm. to come and get some additional funding. So 
Um, th that to me is much more exciting. There's certainly going to be more exit. There's certainly going to be more M&A activities. Mm -hmm. But how they are going to use this asset class to access more capital is going to be absolutely fascinating. I guess I have uh, one more grand question. Is the elephant in the room? Where, where do we see Breck? Brexit of affecting anything in this market, or is it going to affect it at all? Or I'll open it up to you two gents on that one. From an investor standpoint, this is an asset class. Whether Brexit or not, you're not investing in something European. You're investing in UK businesses. So this is a proven asset class, so I don't see any immediate changes at the moment. However, for the ambitions, and I'm sure Jeff would, would, would have a view, for the ambitions of the crowdfunding platform themselves, they need to look well beyond UK for yes. growth. They cannot just look into just purely UK. And I think there are so many other ways. I mean, the, the, that's why we have lawyers, <laughs> the lawyer profession. There's so many ways to expand. So I think that will still continue. What I'm most, uh, what I'll be watching most closely is what sort of regulations EU is going to bring up in order to open up the marketplace for whole of EU. And I think that's going to be fascinating because if you have two big markets and two sides of the Atlantic, the U.S. market, uh, which, is, which is going to be huge, and then EU opens up the market for you know, P2P and crowdfunding, it's still way off, but you know, should it do so, UK will suddenly look very small yeah. in comparison. So what does it mean and what sort of deals does it strike to promote this? Because this today, crowdfunding, should be treated very much as part of mainstream financial services. Mm -hmm. So any deals, any negotiation should be, uh, you know, the, the people should have a voice on the table for that. So. And, and I guess which markets are you excited about uh, without getting too much into future plans? And no, well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, it's, 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 it's no, you know, no great secret. You can see on our website that last year we launched offices in Amsterdam and Berlin. Um, we have been in Lisbon since the beginning because we had um, our, our tech work um, down there, and we've also got a bit of business development work there too. So, you know, we are we are very interested in those markets. We're interested in Scandinavia as well. I think that Europe is is a very exciting opportunity uh, for a platform like ours. I think in the tech space in particular, you know, the European ecosystem is is, is really a very very interesting one because unlike in the U.S where you know, there's a huge concentration in one little 50-mile stretch yeah. on the West Coast. You know, here we are a multipolar system. London is great, but you've also got Berlin, you've got Amsterdam, you've got Stockholm, you've got Lisbon, you've got you know, 10, 15 really exciting startup hubs and some more minor ones as well. And I think that one of the things that will come as a result of Brexit really is simply that you know, we will probably start to see relatively a little more activity in some of those other hubs and maybe a little bit less here. And as a platform like ours, our job is to be where the market is. Thanks to Jeff Lynn, Executive Chairman and Co-Founder of Cedars, and Sriram Prakash, Director of Financial Advisory at Deloitte, for sharing their insights on the crowdfunding space and why it has emerged as a significant source of high-growth corporate finance in the last few years. In the meantime, please do look out for the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series as we explore the influence of emerging technologies in business and in wider society.